This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Start your journey to becoming a great developer at learn.thoughtbot.com. They're giving them to everyone, and that means you. So you can go to Riverside and get one too. And then you'll have an ape drape like I do. Hey everybody, this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Build Phase. Your head's looking shiny. Thank you. Are, are you, you shaved are you, today? You freshly shaven, yeah. Yep, this yeah, morning. I can see it. Yep. Homa, <laughs> did you put your head in the shino ballo again? <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> Sorry if that was offensive. I didn't. I didn't mean to offend. No, not at all. I don't care. Okay. I, I've, I've, it's, I've been shaving my head for, jeez, a long time now. Four or five years. So. I'm totally over it. <laughs> do you have pictures? Do you have pictures of you right before you started shaving? Uh, no, maybe no, not. I, I don't think so. Maybe somewhere. What is your, what is your hair color? Does it match your beard? Brown. Yes. Do you dye your beard? No. Oh, okay. You think I care? <laughs> yeah. No, I do not dye my beard. My hair is brown. I started losing it when I was like 22. <laughs> so I think this, it's like, you know, uh, it's all the way yep. up, you know. Yep. It's up there now. <laughs> I, I had, I had like, my hair used to be, when I was in high school, when I was in middle school and into high school, I had hair down to my shoulders. <laughs> I had like super, super long hair. Um, and then freshman year, I cut it to like, an inch, two inches, and I kept it that way until, uh, I don't know, 2007, maybe. Mm -hmm. And then I I, I buzzed it. My my brother showed up. I've got a huge head, like seven and five-eighths, I think, is my hat size. So it's just like a – I have a gigantic melon. Um, And and so I was always like, well, I can't – just cut my hair off because my head is enormous. That'll look hilarious. <laughs> so, so my brother showed up and my brother has an equally large head and he showed up at my house one day. Um, he was coming up to visit. So he came up and he had buzzed his hair down. I was like, Hey, that doesn't look bad at all. So I went out and bought clippers that day <laughs> and, and, and trimmed it down. And the second I trimmed it down, I was like, ooh, that's not good. (laughs) (laughs) That is that is not thick up top. And so I kept it I kept it shaved short for like a week before I was like I called my dad. I was like I was like, I don't know. I'm thinking about just shaving my head, just going down. My dad's like, Yeah, you know, it's it's probably best to just lean into it. Do you have some photos that you can post in the show notes? I want to see long hair Gordon and oh. like 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 present day Gordon. Long hair you know, Gordon is really weird because at that point in my life I was also tiny. So <laughs> like my mom was afraid sending me to school because I was like the smallest kid in the school. <laughs> I was what? like Yeah. I I was like ninety pounds until like up through sophomore year of high school. Wow. Yeah. How tall were you? Just over five, five feet. Five so I, I hit six four in the summer between oh. eighth and ninth grade. Jesus Christ! <laughs> but back then I was like a lanky one seventy. Yeah. So just a stick. 
And I just could not put on weight until I was like 19, <laughs> 20. Yeah, I came back. I like left freshman year, I think almost breaking 100 pounds. And then like I came back or I lost, left sophomore year at like 100 pounds, came back junior year, like close to 180, <laughs> like just and then almost like six feet tall. I just kind of like shot up. I actually just went to my high school reunion like a couple weeks ago. Nobody like people I've known my entire life had no fucking idea who <laughs> I was. <laughs> I like talked to him like three times. And then like the third time they'd be like, oh, Jesus Christ. I just realized who you are. <laughs> so, like, that's so weird. The James Dean of hair. It was all long. Now it's gone. Live fast. I, it was young. bad. Oh, man. It was really bad. I did like the under cut like it was all shaved underneath and then just like long on top it's bad really bad wait i i don't understand god it was awful man (laughs) hold on hold on (laughs) what is the shaved underneath it was like it was like i don't know temples up was like long but everything underneath was shaved like like down lows i don't know why man that was like a thing i'm not making were you (laughs) were you a meth addict (laughs) Well, no. I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm picturing this haircut, and I'm, it's not it's, good. No, it is not a good haircut. No, no, it is not. One of our listeners probably has this haircut. Right. And I just offended They're them. Super offended. <laughs> like looking in a mirror, like, hey, mine, mine is shaved back here too. <laughs> no, it's like good. business in the back and party on top. You're doing that wrong. Yeah, the reverse mullet. <laughs> oh, I was kind of like a. Like a bottom half mullet. Like a a bottom weighted ape drape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or a top weighted ape drape. Oh right. Yeah. Top top weighted ape drape. Yeah. But it, it it did get to a point where I was like, I don't care enough about my hair to keep worrying about this. I'm just gonna get rid of it and then I don't have to think about it anymore. It's the same reason I don't get fancy coffee. I don't want to think about that. Fair enough. My wife hates it, though. Absolutely hates it. Oh, really? <laughs> she still hasn't gotten over it. Like, five years? She's still like, I wish you had hair. <laughs> like, me too. That's the girlfriend's opinion. I'm, I'm not allowed to, like, shave my head or go really short with my hair, even though that's how I prefer it. But apparently when I do that, I look very uh, scary. Like, when I have really short hair, I apparently I resemble a white supremacist, I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I started a like right after I shaved my head. I started a Facebook group called uh, "Guys with Shaved Heads That Aren't Racist Assholes." <laughs> I'd like to shave my head and join that just to group. Be clear, just to be clear, <laughs> felt like I had to specify. Yeah, it's not fair. We just have very racist head shapes. <laughs> right. I was born this way. <laughs> okay, we got to get off this topic. <laughs> so I don't really have a topic in mind. Uh, but I do want to talk about this blog post about NS Notification Center yeah. that's going around. I just don't get what all the hubbub is about. Like, of course, there's going to be bugs if you have retain cycles. And, if, and of course, there's going to be problems if you're manipulating global state. Right. Like, yeah. I read the whole no, article. The, and I'm like, the, yes, okay. Yes, retain <laughs> cycles. Yes, global state. Yes, bugs. Okay, I yeah, don't get I it. Think he's, me neither. I, I think his point was mainly he didn't know that there would be a retain cycle there. Mm. It's it's you know his his examples were super contrived. 
unbelievably contrived, right? Like you said, like editing global state and doing it all from a test harness that just creates objects inside a loop and then fires. You know what I mean? It's a super contrived example. I think his point that he was making poorly is that there's an implicit block. You're implicitly retaining the block by using NS notification centers APIs because of the way, like, it's not like when we talked about this last time, we said that, like, you don't really have to worry about using self inside UI view animation blocks because you don't hold on to that block, right? But that that isn't true when using the NS notification center blocks because there is an implicit ownership there because of just because of the way NS notification center works. So that's, I think that was the point that he was trying to make. He just didn't, I don't think it was made super well. That part was valid to me, but before that he was using an example of, I mean, there were, there was self right there in the block, like in addition to NS assert, the NS assert part is interesting. The whole blog post should have just been NS assert has self. Yeah. Implicitly uses self. So heads right. up everyone, but the, the banning the API from his code base seems so dumb. extreme. I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not a huge, honestly, not a huge fan of that. The block API, the block base NS notification center API in general, I had apparently missed it. Like I just have never, I've literally never used that API. I don't know how I didn't know it was there or if i knew it was there i just immediately forgot that it was there i've always used the target action pattern for that always um and i actually like that more than using a block just because it allows me to have two methods right like i create a register for notifications method that that's where i put all the notifications that i need to register for and then each one of those calls out to a specific method that should do a specific thing, you know, gets back to single responsibility principle and stuff like that. Um, using the block APIs would just make that messy to me. Right. There's a, there's a lot of cases where I have the notification observer be another object. So target action is a natural fit there. It's just send a message to this object. And the having to do the weak self thing makes me not want to use the block-based API. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm my reason. Yeah, yeah. So my reasons for not using the block based API are not the retain cycle stuff, which I think you should be aware of, but which isn't particularly interesting to me, honestly. And it isn't. It isn't. I don't think it's indicative of a bug in the API. It's not that that API is bad. It's just that's the way blocks work, and you should probably know that. Um. It's like Ash Ash Furrow, who we've talked about on Hacker News. His comment was like, "Yeah, <laughs> basically what you said." He he just posted a comment was like, "Uh, yeah, the, there's retained cycles blocks." <laughs> I thought everyone knew that, and of course, not everybody knows that. You know what I mean? Of course, there's people out there that are that are that haven't run into that yet, or 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 whatever. But it's it is something that I think that. Any uh, that you should know, right? Like, I, I think it's one of those kind of checklist items. You know, I just use self in a block. What do I have to worry about here? 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. If, if you're getting that down and dirty with blocks, you should know. Yeah. I mean, maybe he is like more of a beginner, but just judging from the content of the post, it seemed like he was a more senior developer. Right. right. I don't understand why that is surprising. Except for the like again, like I said, the the implicit ownership of the block is not surprising, but it's it's something that you still ha- you have to think about because of the way the NS Notification Center APIs work. The fact that you implicitly own that block, not directly, but like because of the way NS Notification Center works, you essentially own it, um, and so that's where the retain cycle comes in. He does have a valid point about um, the analyzer not warning about retain cycles when it comes to that specific API. And I and I think it's because it's looking at the class and it doesn't really understand that there's a connection between NS Notification Center and this class that I'm in. Right. The fact that the fact the connection between your class the in that instance and NS Notification Center is like a weird implementation detail inside NS notification inside the NS notification stuff. So I'm not surprised that the compiler doesn't catch it. It kind of sucks that the com- that they haven't built in a special case into that warning to look for. But how many? I, I don't even know how many of these special cases there possibly are. You know what I mean? Places where this kind of thing is true, where you're not you you don't you know self doesn't own the block but directly but there's an implicit ownership because of the way the api works so so if they built in a special case for ns notification center how many special cases would they have to build into that warning right you know i don't know anything about compilers so i don't know how um, having know. arc fix that would work i have no idea maybe like mark marking a block with a keyword that's like this thing retains shit yeah i have no idea i'm a i'm an expert (laughs) (laughs) yeah i did think the 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 ns assert i i just hadn't thought about i hadn't thought about that owning self or self that being a macro that had self in it you know um but like it kind of (laughs) You know, that's kind of one of the many reasons why macros to me <laughs> kind of, you know what I mean? They they seem like a great idea and then you're like, oh, yeah, but this kind of crap happens. And Although someone was saying, again, on Hacker News, someone was saying that um, if you use that libx objective c thing from the GitHub guy, Josh, Justin Parsummers, Justin Parsummers? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you use that weakify strongify thing that we talked about before. If you use weakify, then it kills that retain cycle inside NSAssert because it changes the definition of self at that point. Oh right. Um, so that's that's one way to you can you that lets you actually still use self NSAssert inside there without risking the retain cycles. And the other weird thing about that NSAssert thing to me was that it would only cause a retain cycle in debug because NS assert is if deft out in production releases. So, so it would, it could potentially cause bugs in 
debug that take you forever to track down to this weird random use of self inside a block inside NS notification center that's coming from a freaking macro. But you spent all that time debugging that and it literally doesn't touch production. Like that's not what your production code is. So Right. That's a nice change of pace from how things normally work. (laughs) Right. Right. Although it's kind of worse, right? Like it's literally just wasted time. You spend all that time tracking down, you know, maybe you're trying to optimize, you optimize performance or something, right? And you find, you finally find this leak and you get rid of the leak, but your customers were never seeing the leak to begin with. So you spent a lot of time optimizing for you, which isn't a super good use of your time, I don't think. But what if that bug in debug were to mask some other bug that you're trying to reproduce. Like it's still worth the time to fix it. Totally. Yeah. I think. Yeah, definitely. He did have a good point about bugs like that causing really obscure problems in other parts of the code base. Yeah. Definitely seen that. You use NS assert a lot. Is that common? I I don't. I tend I I I've so I've been trying to use it more. I've been using it more when I'm like building a third-party library that's supposed to be used by someone else. But it feels defensive for me inside my own code. You know what I mean? Like if it's just an app, um, it feels a lot like like overly defensive. I'm I'm kind of I don't know gun shy. I don't know if that's the right word. I'm over. Uh, I'm. I don't know what the word is. Um, I try to avoid being defensive in my coding a lot, and I pay attention to when I feel like I'm being defensive in my coding. Um, like we, I was just having a conversation with um, our coworker Theo about like you guys in one of your projects, you have a method that takes a class that conforms to a protocol, and then the first thing inside that class is checking to see if the class conforms to the protocol. It's like, I, I don't know enough about your implementation there, but my initial reaction is like, why? Like, why do you need to do that? The compiler is already going to yell at you if you try passing into something that doesn't conform to that protocol. So why do you need to do a secondary check yourself to make sure? Like, it just kind of seems redundant and overly um, defensive to me. Yeah, I agree. I I don't know the specific um, method you're talking about here, but I know that that is in a part of the code where we're doing parsing and a lot of runtime introspection and we're throwing a lot of ID around. And so it's just kind of for our own sanity. Yeah. Um, but so that's kind of how I feel about using NSAssert stuff inside my own code too is like, I kind of feel like it's a little bit of overly defensive coding. Um, If you're testing things well, it shouldn't be necessary. Right. Asserts are always for, I mean, like programmer error, like you said, when you're building a library, that's what you're guarding against, right? Right. Right. So it it makes sense. Like if I'm writing something for you to consume, it totally makes sense to use NS assert as a way to guide you as someone that's not familiar with my code base and let you know what you can and can't do with the code base. But if it's all my code base, maybe there's an argument to be made 
like if you have a long, super long running project or like a bunch of different people working on the same bit of code that like I can't maybe, maybe there's like five of us working on the same project and I can't expect, and it's a big project and I can't expect you to be as familiar with my class as I am. So maybe there's a case there to be made for using NS assert again, but for the same reasons as I was, as I would use it when writing an SDK, right? It's to, to guide other developers in the use of my code versus something that's going to help me work with my code. Is, is that something that could be alleviated by just commenting code, like commenting your headers? And if you're building a library, are you, are you documenting those? Were you doing that on the, the last project? We documented the business SDK. So um, I talked about this briefly before, but we had basically two different SDKs going on at one time. We had a like business logic SDK that was just all the models and networking stuff, API access stuff, and then an entirely separate library that was just for UI level stuff because this was all design. Like the whole the whole project was building out this SDK so we could build apps on top of it um, for white labeling purposes. And so the UI SDK um, did not have header comments in it really at all. But most of those classes were pretty black box because there's all a lot of like instantiating a view controller and passing in an object for the view controller. And then it just kind of like set stuff up. Um, but the, but the business SDK had like the base SDK had all the, had a bunch of header comments in it. Apple doc. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that, I think that that could have helped. I mean, it can help with that, but there is something like I do this sometimes too, where I just, I'll just kind of like look at the methods for an SDK for a, like look at the header and even it, maybe maybe I would read the comments if it was commented. Like what was it, like I'll just read a header and try kind of figure out what's going on from the header and just try passing stuff in and um, if it works it works if it doesn't it doesn't. Yeah, we could have an entire discussion on good API design if you're doing that really well. It kind of explains itself, but the, the, there's sometimes valuable insight that you just can't include in the name because. You don't want implementation implementation details leaking out into your public API, right? So you're walking this line of having it be descriptive, but not overly descriptive about how it works, just what it does. And uh, a great example of this is is how there's little gems in Apple's headers that aren't in the documentation. And so if you're ever in doubt, like jump straight into the header file and look, because sometimes there's that little piece of information there that gets you right back on the right path. Right. How often do you end up using? You're a fan of NS assert and parameter assert and all the variations there, right? NS parameter assert. Just like I said, programmer error. Like if, if for things that should never ever happen, and like you said, it, they should only raise exceptions uh, while developing. And it's I think it's helpful on large code bases because even if you're on the same project, you can be working somewhere else for three weeks and then come back to this other part of the code. And it's almost like you didn't write it. Yeah. I've been experiencing that. 
Yeah, I guess I guess I'd probably push to use parameter assert if something is really one hundred percent necessary and the code base is large enough, right? Like if it doesn't handle nil gracefully, like if it adds that object to an array, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, then you'd probably want to parameter assert so that it crashes before you even get to that point. Although that'll crash pretty quick too. I think the 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 bigger problems are like when like when nil gets past like three levels down a chain from one of those kind of methods, right? Like something is expecting to return something and it returns nil and then you get three levels down and all of a sudden it gets passed to a view controller or something for some reason and your app blows up and you have to debug back up the chain why where did where the hell did this nil come from you know? and it's not difficult it's just time consuming and annoying when you could just catch it with this exception but i also feel like unit unit testing and and like a good integration testing stuff can take the place of some of that you know totally yeah and when in doubt you could just pull an ns calendar and put really snarky errors <laughs> like, like when you pass nil into uh yeah one of the date component from from date to it's like is it is it one of the time interval things where it's like from date to date kind of a thing and it's trying to check the i i think it's i think it's one of the ones that gets you the date components like for a date range like from date to date and then you can look at it like dot day gives you the number of days between right and when you pass nil it says really what did you think was gonna happen (laughs) well i thought i had an object here it's not like i was just knowingly passing nil in dick (laughs) that's the last thing i need when i'm already mad (laughs) it's like catching guff from some apple engineer right who wrote that like 10 years ago 20 years ago and had a laugh and then moved on and yep and it still haunts me to this day i mean working with ns calendar is great building a calendar not so great so i don't need the i don't need the snark <laughs> i bring enough I like snark that. to the I table i like that I, I i like that stuff though it's like it's just passive aggressive <laughs> it's annoying uh, no yeah a little bit but uh i don't remember i was listening to another podcast and they were talking about dealing with apple and like having to like try and force yourself to remember that like like apple is a company but that company is made up of people right and like that's something you kind of have to reinforce from time to time it's like we can bitch and moan about like apple the company but like apple the company didn't write that error that you know what i mean like someone some some per one some person some t- at some point wrote that, and I I like those kind of things because it reinforces that it helps me to re- like keep that in mind when I'm maybe complaining about something else that's broken. You know, oh, and his calendar. <laughs> A discussion came up on the uh, Twitter yesterday about the the Unix timestamp twenty thirty eight thing, and his calendar. Yeah, the calendar I wrote is definitely affected by that issue. The dates just start going crazy once you get to January 19th, 2038. It was really easy to do, too, because this uh, calendar was just infinite scroll, and you could jump to any date in the future. And you so go, you and jumped. you're just going along. You're like, yep, January 18th, 19th, 19th, 19th. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on here. 
So what's the what's the issue there with the Unix? Uh, the Unix timestamp is going to overflow int on January nineteenth, nice. twenty thirty eight. Okay. And and f- from what I've read, everything about NS Calendar is fine, except for NS Time Zone because NS Time Zone is using like the BSD Time Zone support, and it's affected by this bug. So because NS Time Zone uses it, everything is affected. Interesting. I'm I'm thinking Apple might fix that before twenty thirty eight. We'll see if they get around so? to it. Yeah, that's what. Let's see. So that's it's gonna that. be like January seventeenth. They're gonna be like, "Oh shit, <laughs> no, guys, we have all these open radars." <laughs> oh, nobody did this. We only had twenty five years. More, more than that. Right since eighty nine. Really, I mean, yeah. Can you imagine what computing will be like in twenty thirty eight? We won't even need calendars. We'll just be pure energy beings. <laughs> Just cruising the stars. Right. Who cares about time at that point? Right. Who cares about int? <laughs> and with that, I'm out of things to say. <laughs> well, that about wraps things up for this week. Show notes for this episode are available at podcasts.thoughtbot.com slash buildphase slash 17. If you want to get in touch, you can send us an email, buildphase at thoughtbot.com, or get to us on app.net or Twitter at Build phase. And this episode has been edited by Igor Stolarski, recorded and produced by Mike Manor. <laughs>